You're listening to Inside the Aluminum Tube. This podcast has adult language and sometimes contains graphic descriptions of accidents and incidents, often resulting in death. If you're scared to fly, proceed with caution. Bank angle, bank angle, caution, terrain, don't sink, don't sink, glide slow, pull up, wind shear, wind shear, sink rate, pull up, traffic, traffic. Okay, uh, we're going back inside the aluminum tube for another episode. This is an aviation history podcast, which looks at aviation events like air disasters, accidents, incidents, and mere mishaps. I'm Shannon Baker. I'm your host and the creator of this podcast. If you want to know more about my qualifications, you'll have to go listen to episode zero, and you can learn all about me. If you want to see pictures of the airplanes and enhance your experience, you should follow me on Instagram and Twitter at aluminum tube. If you've heard other episodes, you already know that I always have a co-host who is not an aviation expert. Their role is to ask questions that will help you, the listener, better understand what actually happened. My co-host today is a returning co-host. Uh, her name is Mary. So Mary, uh, how are you doing today? And tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, Shannon. Um, I'm doing really well today. It's cold here in New York and I'm inside, so that's good. <laughs> that, and it is cold. Yeah, it's freezing. But, you know, that's what you get from New York in the winter. I know. I am thankful some days that I work from home because I don't have to put on four pairs of pants just to leave my house. Yeah, for real. I came in last night and it was absolutely freezing. Oh, yeah. It took about 10 minutes for your hands to come back to normal. Exactly. And it was a short walk from the train, too. So, yeah. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Just real quick. What do you do? You know, what's your what's your full name? What do you do? My name is Mary Hall, and I'm a tailor, as well as I just applied for the union for TV and film for wardrobe and tailors, 764, waiting to hear back from that so I can work on set again. Go unions. Go unions. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, too. Absolutely. I have a really interesting one for you today. More interesting than a man in first class drunk? Yes. More interesting than a neighborhood changing... Because of a plane crash. Plane crash? Yeah. This one is different, so... Okay. So let me just say what I have to say first, because I actually have some interesting things written down here that I want to say before we go to the date. Okay. Okay. But you know how things work, right? Yes. So... What I do is I start with the date, Mm -hmm. I tell a little bit about the aircraft, and then I talk about the company, and then we talk about the event, and then we talk about what's changed since, and how things are now. But not today. Uh We're switching it up today. No, it's still going to follow that, but I just have some extra stuff to to throw in there. So are you ready to get started? Yes. So I had a listener, Brenna in Colorado, contact me. Brenna. And she told me that she listens to my podcast and she loves it. Oh. She told me that she's a nervous flyer and that she's happy to know all the things that have changed Hmm. over the decades to keep her safe. That's uh, interesting that you say that because I have friends I've tried to recommend your podcast to who are nervous that it'll ruin flying for them forever. But obviously, that is not always the case. No, apparently not always the case, right? Because we talk about like how these things couldn't happen in modern day, et cetera, et cetera, sometimes. Right. That's how we wrap out the whole end. Right. A little bit of security. Right. And I get that. But it's because this is an aviation history podcast. I cover things that happened like, you know, back in the 60s to the 2000s. Right. And it all seems so like, so it's so far away. So lots of change, you know, 20 years ago, Mm -hmm. yeah, 10, 20 years ago, or or like 50 years ago, you know? So it feels detached. 
right? Because we had the episode that was like 59 years right. ago. But let me just say that I like to apologize to my listeners for misleading them or accidentally giving them the impression that modern and current aviation is somehow safe. I mean, it's safe, but it's not foolproof. It's safer, right? But it's not foolproof. I promise I'm not going to let this happen again. Okay. <laughs> and how uh, are you going to reassure us that getting on a plane today is just as dangerous? Just as dangerous? Or... No, not just as dangerous, but okay. still dangerous. I mean, you are going into the sky. Yeah. In an aluminum tube. Correct. And you're you're still hurtling through the air at 600 miles an hour. Right. A lot can happen pretty quickly. So here's how. So you asked how I'm going to reassure you. Mm-hmm. Here's how. I'm going to start with the date. February 23rd, 2019. No way. So <laughs> about a year ago. So about a year ago. So we're going to oh, start. Oh, no. <laughs> so we're going to start with the airplane. The airplane is a Boeing 767-300ER. And I get okay. tired of talking about the 767, but there's so many of them out there. Right. They kind of ruled the skies for the last 10, 20 years. They really still do. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like that is the workhorse of airlines around the world. Yeah. So probability just means that well, there's going to be more 764, 767 crashes. Yeah, because it flies more, right? It flies yeah. more hours. So let me describe the airplane real quick. You know what the airplane looks like, mm-hmm. but it's a wide body. It's got two aisles, heavy twin engine jet with a maximum takeoff weight of around 400,000 pounds. That's a lot. Okay. It entered service in 1982. It's Boeing's most successful wide body model with over 1,100 sold. It was developed in three distinct variants, each larger than the next. Production for the passenger version ended in 2010 mm-hmm. when it was replaced by the 787. However, the 767 is still being produced as the F variant. Mm, for freight, right? Freight, right. All variants of the 767-300 are currently still being operated globally. Um, it's a very popular jet, we just said, for both cargo and passenger operations. Cargo versions are operated by all major carriers, including FedEx and UPS. Passenger versions are still operated around the world with about 800 in service. They're flown by air carriers like Delta and American and United, in addition to foreign carriers, Air Canada and British Airways and Air France and all over the Middle East and all over Asia. So these are really popular airplanes. Um, You showed me a picture of the plane. I'm not going to give it away by the paint job, but it was interesting to see that it was obviously used for passengers at some point because the windows, the windows are painted over. The windows are painted over, right. So the event aircraft, which we just you just alluded to, was built in 1992. It entered service with China Southern Airlines as a passenger aircraft. It had flown over 100,000 flight hours with over 25,000 landings. By the time the event happens, it's being operated by a company called Atlas, but it was painted with the Amazon Air logo. Okay, so I'll let you give it away. (laughs) Right. And it had been given the name Custom Air Obsession. So that's the name of the airplane. Okay. Custom Air. Because it's named after the Amazon management guiding principle of customer obsession. Custom Air Obsession. Interesting. So you saw a picture of the airplane. What do you think? Well, it's definitely obviously Amazon. If you know. For sure. It says Amazon Prime Air on it. Yeah. And you can see it on my um, Instagram page, and it'll be posted on Twitter when the episode comes up. It's got to get your stuff two days. Got to exactly. Right? Got to get it overnight, right? Two day. All right. So the company, the company is Atlas. A company called that Atlas Air owns the airplane. Right, but the call so sign, Amazon just hires these companies. So we're getting there. Yeah, you're okay. you're just you're perfectly right in front of me. So I love it. The the call sign of the aircraft they go by giant. 
Okay. <laughs> it's just what an what's called an IKO call sign. So okay. United goes by United, Delta goes by Delta, Atlas goes by Giant. Just do that's you get how it to works. pick your own name? You do, and uh, British Airways <laughs> goes by Speedbird. Oh, that's cool. So kind of kind of some cool stuff, right? How much do we think the what was Atlas? Atlas. Did he miss? Does this maybe compensating for anything? <laughs> no, and you're going to see why in just a second. Okay. So, so if I say Giant, it means that we're talking about the Atlas airplane or Got the it. Atlas flight. Atlas is the company. Giant is the call sign. Anyway, understood. Atlas Air is part of Atlas Air Worldwide Holdings. The airline was named after Atlas uh, for a Titan from Greek mythology. Mm-hmm. The symbol on the tail is a golden. On most of the tail of the airplane, this one obviously is painted as Amazon Prime Air. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the other airplanes have a golden man carrying a golden world. Atlas. Yeah, Atlas. They have roughly 3,500 employees, including 1,800 pilots. They fly to 425 destinations in 119 countries. Atlas Air's fleet, now this is important, has expanded to include 116 airplanes up from just 29 in 2010. Whoa. So 10 years. That includes- I mean, that makes sense with the growth of Amazon. Yes. This includes 51 Boeing 747s. And we talked about the, the- 747 in previous episodes Mm -hmm. but that makes it the world's largest operator of 747s giant absolutely and there you go there's your giant atlas air started operations what was it what was their name when they were only 29 was it also still giant it was still giant oh they they had a goal they knew what they wanted to be atlas air started started operations in 1992 the airline's founder was named michael chowdry he's not really important but he started by leasing aircraft to other companies So he Hmm. would buy the airplane, and then he would lease it to other companies. But in 1996, Atlas placed an order for 10 Boeing 747-400F model airplanes. What year? I'm sorry. 1996. Okay. And they started cargo operations in 1997. Got it. Okay. Is that all they do now? Yes. Okay. That's all they do. So in 2010, Atlas Air was awarded a nine-year contract transporting parts for Boeing 787 Dreamliner, and they do it in a modified 747 called the dream lifter because it takes the dream because it takes the dream liner parts and it's like got this big bulbous they really modified the fuselage it's huge i think i remember not that one in specific but i have heard nor sometimes planes are made larger to transport large planes right so what they do with this is they transport the fuselage of a 787 Mm -hmm. inside a 747 so the nose tips up and they push the 787 fuselage inside of it mm-hmm. and it's got like a big huge hump on it to, to accommodate a whole airplane essentially inside another airplane wow an airplane without wings inside another airplane so it's yeah. pretty it's pretty giant that door has to be huge the whole nose tips up oh the nose tips away <laughs> i did not catch that so in 2000 2000- oh funny kind of like a trunk of a car <laughs> yeah really but the opposite in 2012 atlas air renewed a training contract with the u.s air force to continue providing training for the pilots of air force one oh so alice is a pretty serious player they got like government contract they got a government contract to train the pilots of air force one is that normal it is normal they have a simulator they you know they're the largest operator of 747 so they know what they're doing yeah for sure right so in 2016 and this becomes what we talked about in 2016 amazon.com and Atlas Air announced a deal for Amazon.com to lease 20 767-300F models to be used in air freight service called Amazon Prime Air. 
Atlas has its corporate wow. headquarters in Purchase, New York, but the crew bases are Miami, JFK, mm-hmm. LAX, Chicago, Seattle, Cincinnati, Anchorage, and last and definitely least, Huntsville, Alabama. <laughs> uh, we apologize to all of our Alabama listeners, um, depending on who you are. <laughs> okay. So, but we, but you alluded to this before. The boom in e-commerce has provided strong growth for mm-hmm. Amazon and for Atlas. So how many, do we have a number of how many planes they lease from them now? We do. In, in 2019, Atlas is just one of two companies that operate yeah. as Amazon Air. One quarter of their business accounted to Amazon. Fuck. So 20 767-300F models. That's pretty pretty big. Yeah. Pretty large amount of the fleet. That's ridiculous, but it makes a yeah. lot of sense. So the downside of you know the rapid growth that we talked about has caused serious labor issues with its pilots. They I mean, claim, there's serious labor issues with that company in general. You, n- just their pilots. Amazon, I mean. Well, yes, but also their pilots in yeah. particular, okay? Um, the pilots claim substandard pay and working conditions. These claims are true. Yeah. It's led to high turnover. That's the same thing factory workers say as well. Yeah. So it's led to high turnover and strained operations due to staffing issues of their Amazon Air, essentially, essentially Atlas because Amazon is so such a big player for them. Right. Atlas is currently hiring pilots, and because of their, higher, their high turnover, they're being forced to train pilots as quickly as possible. I don't like that. You good so far? I mean, I understand, anxious. but... <sighs> Basically, what happens is they're hiring pilots, they're not paying them well, then other companies that are hiring, like Hawaiian and United and Delta yeah. and American, they scoop them up. Okay, I have a question since yeah, this kind of came up at the beginning. Is there a union for this company? So they're in union negotiations, but there's no union mm. contract. There's no current union for Atlas Air, but they're in negotiations. So they're trying to establish a union and get a contract. Got it. Does that, okay. Yeah. I'll I mean, hold on to that does, information. It kind of does play into it, but it's not like that's not specific to the story, but. But it does tell you a lot about where these pilots are right. in this company like Absolutely. they don't have they don't have the kind the of guarantees the safety that you have as a commercial pilot right they don't have the same protections mm-hmm. that we have as like passenger pilots okay so let's talk about the crew okay the crew consisted of a captain and a first officer because we have a we have basically it's a cargo airplane right right the captain's 60 years old he'd flown around eleven thousand hours it? two two that's it no two people okay no IRO. Not a And you'll see trip. why, because we're just flying from Miami to Houston. Got it. Okay. The crew consisted of a captain and a first officer. The captain was 60 years old. He'd flown around 11,000 hours and had 1,200 hours in the 767. He was hired in September 2015, so he'd only been with the company for three years. The first officer is 44. Okay. He had around 5,000 flying hours. He'd been with the company just over two years, and he'd logged about 550 hours in the 767. Are these people that these are their first flying jobs? No. So the captain has 11,000 hours. He's got 1,200 hours with Amazon, but he came from a regional. Got it. And then the first officer, he had 5,000 flying hours, 550 hours in the 767, and he'd also come from a regional. Okay. They have experience and training outside of this company as well. Yes, absolutely. And the captain had been flying for years. And the age of retirement has moved up at this 65. point. 65. Okay. Yeah. Also on this day, though, they had a jump seater who was commuting home. 
He's a 36-year-old captain for a regional airline. He was commuting home after his last trip in his old job. Wow. He was starting at uh, starting class at United Airlines just a few weeks later. No. <laughs> Why'd you say no? You don't even know what's going to happen. I know. I, I know I don't know what's going to happen, but I, I don't. I already don't have a good feeling. Because this is a aviation mishaps <laughs> podcast? Maybe, yeah. I am going off of the last one you recorded with me, which was a major tragedy. However, I do not know where this is going. I don't love the companies and how the pilots are being treated already. True. So those are negative feelings that okay. are currently in my head. Well, let's cover the event so that we can clarify this for you and bring, okay. it, bring it around. So Giant 3591, that's the name of the flight. Mm-hmm. Giant 3591 it departed Miami at around 10.30 a.m. The first officer was flying and the captain was working the radios. Okay. So we call the pilot flying the pilot. Which is normal. So we call the pilot flying, we call him the pilot flying, and we call the other person who's working the radios the pilot monitoring. Yeah, because they'll do there and back. They'll switch, right? Yes, correct. And on this leg, the pilot flying is the first officer and the pilot monitoring is the captain. The airplane was loaded with 26,000 pounds of Amazon.com cargo. And just over 2019. thirty. Sorry, that just came in my head again. And just over thirty-six thousand pounds of fuel. They were flying to George Bush Intercontinental Airport in Houston, Texas, from Miami. So the seven sixty-seven took off and climbed to forty thousand feet. It was switched from Miami to Jacksonville Center. The flight proceeded normally, and the cockpit voice recorder showed normal conversation. The first officer talked about how great the seven sixty-seven was to fly, and how the transition from his previous aircraft had been pretty easy. Oh, nice. The first officer's resume showed that he'd come from a commuter airline called Mesa. Okay. Okay, so... Operated under, do we know or does it matter? Yeah, no, it's, an, it's a... That's a good question. It's a United Express carrier. He'd flown a large regional jet called an EMB-175, and you fly on these sometimes, mm-hmm. and they're really comfortable. Yeah, they're small, but they're... I like uh, that one. Comfortable. Like, you're not gonna hit your head when you stand up in the aisle, which oh, yeah. on some of those, when I wear heels, my head almost grazes. So I right. I can imagine you as six foot three man, put your head down no matter what. But on this one, it's actually really comfortable. Good. So it's kind of a big airplane, right? I'm current and qualified in the 767 and I have about 700 hours in that airframe. Okay. Okay. I am also familiar with the E-175, though I have not flown it. The Embraer 175 that he's talking about is very technologically advanced. Mm. It's a very new airplane and compared to the 767, which is very old technology. But they've both been at flying this plane for a little while at this company. Yes, but the the airplanes are not similar. The transition, although he's saying the transition was easy, the transition would not have been straightforward. It would be a pretty big change, okay? So the first officer at this point is being just a little bit pompous. Oh. And the airplane they're flying is, I think I said it was like 29 years old. Yeah. So it's an old 760, it's an old 767. But even the new ones, I mean, they the didn't change that tech much. tech is the same. Yeah, the tech is pretty much the same. And so he's talking about the transition being easy. And I'm going to just, as a professional, I'm just going to say, He's being a little pompous. The The transition is probably not as easy as he's letting on. Yeah. I mean, we don't know for I mean, sure, but... We do know for sure, and we're going to cover that in a little while. Oh. Anyway, at one point, the captain gets up, makes coffee for the first officer in the jump seater. He returns to his seat so after nice. a while. But during this time, the first officer gets a frequency change, and he tells air traffic control that they were at 41,000 feet, but they were actually at 40,000 feet. Why? I think he just misspoke. Okay. But... It might be a clue that who wasn't paying attention or he's distracted. I'm not really sure. 
we we've, we we've know that he made a mistake early on. I think most pilots have probably made that mistake but yeah. corrected it themselves. But air traffic control doesn't say anything, so it's not that big of a deal. They didn't and climb how or descend. Much is, how important is that difference? The airplane had actually been at 41,000 feet, which it wasn't. It was at 40,000 feet. So westbound traffic flies even numbers. So 38,000, oh. 40,000. And eastbound traffic flies 41,000, 39,000. So Significant you are riding in the wrong lane of traffic. Exactly. It's, it's just it would be over like the driving line. In the, it's just over the line, but it's driving in the but other lane. Got it. It's driving the wrong okay. way in the other lane. Okay. But they're not there. They people they no, just, he just he accidentally says they are. He accidentally miss he misspeaks. But they keep chatting but they pilot stuff. Been at forty one thousand feet maybe going there? That's all simple. But the airplane is not at forty one thousand. It's at forty thousand, which is where which it should is, be. Exactly. Okay. They fly across We're good for now. <laughs> right, we're good for now. So they fly across the southern US, forty thousand feet. They talk about pilot jobs in aviation and schedules. So pilot Ugh. banter mostly. Between Don't you just hate when you talk with your coworkers and all you talk work. about is work? <laughs> so <laughs> it's mostly the first officer in the jump seat. Um, uh, the first officer in the jump seat are talking, although the captain joined in from time to time. They got switched to Houston air traffic control without any issues, no events, no occurrences. And by all indications, this was a normal flight. On a relatively clear day, the aircraft had no mechanical issues, as far as we know. The crew was well rested and in good health judging by their lively conversations and the fact that they were in a window of circadian high. Do you understand what that means? I don't, but I do know that they didn't take off in the middle of the night. Right. So window of circadian. So your circadian rhythm. Oh, is, is that the best time for you to learn? Kind yeah. of. Yeah. So they're naturally awake is yeah. basically they're, they're on a, they're, you're kind of on a schedule that, that fluctuates lows to highs. Mm-hmm. They're in a window of circadian high, which means they're naturally awake. It's, so they should be at, their best to operate this flight right it's like ten thirty in the morning there yeah that's why yeah. we didn't learn anything the first period of school exactly <laughs> and then you didn't learn anything from like two to three either yeah because you you're in your window of circadian low which is also why you feel tired then well that was just band class <laughs> <laughs> so the airplane's going to land in houston and the weather looks good the crew briefs the approach in the weather all their they do all their checklists mm-hmm. they slow the airplane down to 240 knots which is normal and Around 10,000 feet. They How can, long is this flight? So it's only about Supposed two to hours. Be? About two okay. hours. Uh, they continue to descend to 6,000 where they level off. I'm from Tennessee. My family still lives there. And so that's about the same. It's right under two hours. Yeah. You basically get up to cruising height. You stay there for the, like 45 minutes and then, and then go down. back down. Yeah. It's, so that's kind of what they like did. like a bell curve almost. Well, I said, okay, so now it's 1237 and they departed at 10... About 10.30. 10.30, yeah. So they departed uh, 10.30 a.m. actually exactly. It's like and I was listening. And now it's 12.37. It's like you <laughs> Okay, so the autopilot and auto throttles they're all operating. Everything's turned on. The autopilot's flying the airplane. Okay? Yeah. All is good. All is good. All is right with the world. Houston Center calls them at 12.37 and tells them to descend from 6,000 feet to 3,000 feet. Approaching Houston. Uh-huh. And the captain sets the altitude selector to 3,000 feet. Wait. Say that again? The captain sets the altitude selector down to 3,000 feet. feet. It's just a little And they knob. told you him to do it. that. Yeah, they told him to do it. Okay. He sets it. And he did the right thing. Yeah. The right number. Yeah. The, okay. So at 1238, the first officer calls for flaps one, which is the first flaps. It okay. puts the slats out in the front of the wing. Mm-hmm. So they kind of roll down in the front. Just the front, not the back. 
Got it's it. called Flaps 1, but it's actually Slats. That's how the airplane works. Okay. The captain reaches over. He sets the flaps to 1. We just decoded that, right? That's yeah. the Slats in the front of the wing. But looking at the flight data information and knowing the airplane, the captain at this point bumps the go-around button while he's pulling his hand back. Hmm. Somet- somehow he presses the go-around button. What's that? I'm going to show you a picture. Okay. I mean, I assume it makes you go around, but I don't fully understand what that uh, means or entails. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll cover that in a sec. I just want you to see the uh, configuration. And this video is going to be posted to the Instagram. Okay. The little button below the throttle. The black. Okay. I didn't even notice those. Do you see the little black switch? I see it, but it, it's, it almost looks like a part of the lever itself. It, it's just a little button that you press and it just rocks. Hmm. Okay. So then you asked about go around. So let me talk to you really quickly about go around and I'll decode that. Go around means you intend to land, but something happens that you can't land. Like you don't see the runway. Yeah. Or someone pulls out on the runway or another airplane is too slow getting off the runway. You click the go around button, you go around. So this isn't... F- it basically just flies away from the ground. It's. It, this isn't for like when you're circling waiting to land. This is for when you're about to land and you can't. Correct. Okay. Yeah, it's like you get down to where you should see the runway, but you don't see the runway. You click the go around button. It's not an emergency. You know, you just go through your calls and you it's just kind of fly like away from the ground. the automatic um, button so that the humans don't have to do all the things to get you back up into Cor- a safe space. Correct, yes. Just a quicker way to do that. Correct. Got it. It changes the mode in the autopilot so that the autopilot doesn't think you're landing anymore. Okay. It says, okay, you want to go fly instead. I'm sure if they didn't have that, that was multiple buttons and levers in the past. and it. That's correct. Yes. Old airplanes may not have had a go around button, but new airplanes all have a go around button. It changes the mode. It tells the airplane, we're not going to land anymore. We're going to go fly. And he accidentally hit this. He bumps it. It's really not any kind of an emergency. So does is there an audible thing that happens when you hit this? Button? No, but there's a visual. Okay. What we call the FMAs. It's basically the mode. Got it. And it just it's right on the display in front of you. It's just like a like the gear change in a car. Yeah. It tells you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, whether you're in reverse or whether you're in park or whether you. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, make drive. a noise, but it'll it visually shows you. Right. So they should shows, yeah. know whether. That it, he accidentally bumped it. He should have been aware of it immediately. Right. Now, the FO looks down. Okay. He feels the airplane do something. He looks down, but he's confused at what he sees. Hmm. He wants a certain setting that allows him to like, basically like track toward the airport, but he fails to recognize that the autopilot has now changed modes. Right. Okay. And in this case... And that setting doesn't show when it's in the other mode. Correct. The one he's looking for. The one he's looking for is a different mode. We, we don't need to go into the technicals. I understand. He's looking for a certain mode. He looks down. He doesn't understand what he sees. That's scary when you're in control. 10 seconds later, the ten. first officer took him 10 full seconds. The first officer says that the airplane isn't doing what, is, what it should be doing. He never realizes that the autopilot is now in the go around mode. Yeah. Okay. He's just confused because it's not doing what he thinks it should be doing right but it's doing exactly what it's told yeah it was a bump but the captain should know the plane well enough to say oh 
this he is flashing. Know. That means, oh, I must have accidentally bumped this. The, Do this. But the instead. first officer should know too, because he's typewriter in the aircraft, right? I know. I'm saying he obviously doesn't know. No, he, he doesn't. Should. He seems confused. So at but this that's point, that's why there's someone next to you as right. well who now, should also have this information. But at this point, the captain is actually not looking because he's looking away and he's like adjusting the frequencies and the radios and stuff. He doesn't know that he bumped it. But again, but let me stress, the, this is not an emergency situation. So right. the guy me, says, I don't know what's going on. The captain should have turned around. Right. But let me tell you what the airplane would do in this circumstance. Okay. Okay. Because the altitude that they're at, they're at 6,000 feet, but they've got their altitude selector set at 3,000, which is lower. If you bump the go around button, the airplane will simply pitch up and climb straight ahead at 2,000 feet a minute. That's all it will do. Until you tell it to do something else? It, it'll climb into infinity, essentially. Okay. Indefinitely, until you tell it to do something else. But it's wings level. It's 2,000 feet a minute. It's very predictable and very stable. The only thing you have to worry about is dealing with plane traffic. Other plane traffic and air traffic control at this point. You gotta, you know, you'd say, oops, we messed up. Not a big deal. Change the mode and, and, and reset and just keep going, it's doing what you're doing. 2019. Okay. <laughs> I have to keep reminding myself that this was... A year ago. Right, a year ago. It just got pitch up at 2,000 feet a minute. It's not a lot. It's not any kind of an emergency. Right. The altitude selector is at 3,000 feet. So the airplane, like I said, without if the altitude selector were set higher, it would climb up and level off at the altitude that it was set at. But the altitude right. selector is set at 3,000. They're at 6,000. The airplane's just going to climb 2,000 feet a minute. Because it's, it's not, it doesn't have a stop. It doesn't have a stop. You didn't set its limit. Again... I want to stress, no kind of an emergency, okay? But the first officer thinks the airplane is stalling, okay? He thinks that essentially the wing isn't flying anymore, and he says in a panicked voice, where's my speed, where's my speed? Oh, no. So this indicates that he has no idea where to look for his airspeed, which is, by the way, directly in front of him. Mm. The airplane is at 240 knots, which is way above the stall speed, they're going roughly yeah. 240 knots, which is roughly 280 miles per hour. Because stall is like you're about to fall out of the sky. Yeah. In this configuration, it's going to be about 130 knots or around 160 miles an hour. Okay. So they really are over 100 knots faster than the airplane would At this would point, stall. if they were having a, an issue, they could easily like s- sail to safety. Oh, absolutely. But they're not having an issue. No. The airplane's doing exactly what it was told. Hmm. The airplane is giving no indications of stalls. So the indication of stalls, st- we, remember we talked in last in the, other episodes, stick shaker, yeah, stick pusher. And I assume some sort of maybe alarm because a stall would be an emergency. Yes, you have a, on a, you have a message on the ICAST and you yeah. have a master caution, and which is a light happening. that is in front of you. Just a little blinker that's saying, hey, you're, what is it called again? It's not even a blinker. It just, it's like you just look down at your Shift display. Change. Yeah, the mode change. You just look down at your display and it says, it says toga toga, T-O-G-A, take off, go around, slash take off, go around. That's what it says in front of you at this point. Yeah. It doesn't say anything else. It's mm. just, it's, it, it's just climbing straight ahead. And a okay. trained pilot would know what that meant. Well, a trained pilot would look down and we, we would hope that this guy is trained too. But the airplane is giving no indications of stalls. It's just pitching up gently. It's adding power. 
It's, it's actually adding speed, and he's thinking he's right. It's, it's climbing, not speeding. Right, it's climbing, but it's not even climbing aggressively. It's just pitching up gently, adding power. He's freaking out, and the dude is freaking out. So he pushes forward on the yoke, <gasps> which is the right action for a stalled airplane. Yeah, because you're trying to gain speed. But this airplane is installed. Mm. He pushes so hard that he overpowers the autopilot and turns off the autopilot. That's really hard. Yeah. I mean, he's enacting his training, sort of. In a way, right? But he's doing the wrong thing. The first officer, again, who is the pilot flying, he yells, we're stalling. Stall. Oh, Lord, have mercy. What is the captain doing? And then he yells the captain's name. They're right next to each other. They're right next to each other. We the captain's nothing. not like, how many seconds have passed? Um, Sorry, I'm yelling. Just a few. <laughs> no, literally just a few seconds. 10 seconds. That's the long. The captain bumps the button, and this happens as soon okay. as he thinks. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do 10 seconds on my finger. Hey, dude, maybe you switched the mode on accident. Actually, I did on accident. Let me switch it back for you. That was eight seconds. Right. And that's two extra seconds for him to look down and recognize what happened. Right. But the what is he doing? I'm not sure what he's doing. We don't know. Now, remember that he doesn't. He says, we're stalling. We're stalling. Oh, Lord, have mercy. And then he yells the captain's name. At this point, the first officer continues to push the stick forward. <gasps> And the airplane begins to pitch toward the ground. So oh I think this co-pilot, the first officer, he panics. He locks his arms and the airplane pitches nose down 50 degrees. <gasps> that is Okay, so 50 degrees. Let me talk about that. The most that you really ever pitch down in an airplane under normal circumstances is like three to five. Yeah, 50 is insane. So, so let me address that. So... That means if you looked straight out the cockpit windows, you will see nothing but earth. <gasps> so in this case, it's the Trinity Bay and the Trinity River outside, just outside of Houston. If you to, to be able to see the sky at this point, the pilot would have had to lean forward and look out the very top of the windshield, mm-hmm. kind of crane his neck forward. Mm-hmm. That should never be the situation, okay? And the captain's just going off of what the first officer... So we don't even hear from the captain yet. So remember that I said that he doesn't recognize that the airplane... But we know what he's done with his controls. We do, but he hasn't touched his controls yet. <sighs> so remember, like I said, the, co- the first officer, he doesn't recognize that the airplane is in a go-around mode. So the po- autopilot is now off, but he hasn't done anything to change the mode, what the autopilot thinks it's doing. Right. But he's hand-flying, okay? But the auto throttles, where were they? Still... On? They're still on and they're still set to go around power. Mm. Okay, so the airplane is not going to correct. It, it, it's just like you wanted this, now you're hand flying. Hey, that's fine with me. Yeah. Okay, we hand fly go around sometimes. That happens. The airplane does not pay attention to the pitch. It's like you got the control part. I'll just take the throttles. Yeah, like I have the pedal, you have the steering wheel. Sure, that's it. Um, and the And the pedal, the throttle is almost all the way up. Because you're trying to go up. Correct. Because it thinks you're trying to go up. So they're at full speed going towards the ground. Well, full power, right? So the Full autopilot, power, right. yes. So the autothrottles have set... haven't broken the sound barrier yet. Right. So the <laughs> autopilot have set them, has set themselves to maximum power. 
The first officer has flown the airplane into a very nose-down position with all the power up. So what do you think happens? Gravity. Helps. Thrust. It speeds up. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the captain, now at this point, we... we, we because st- when that's the point of when you are stalling is you put the nose down be- so you can gain airspeed. Speed. And you put the power up to gain speed as well. But this airplane is not stalled and it's already going fast. Okay. So the captain is startled, probably from the negative G-forces, because that guy shoved the nose over really yeah. hard, okay? And he's 60. I mean, I, I know that 65 is not very old now, but you still are probably more affected than, say, that jump seater would be. Yeah, the jump seater was 36. I agree. I think the, the younger pilot is probably a little bit more on his game, but the older pilot has more knowledge. True. Okay. So then the then the startled captain yells, what's going on? But he doesn't say anything else. He doesn't. He just grabs the controls and he yanks back on the elevators. Mm. So and he's counteracting what? He's counteracting what the first officer is doing. Hmm. Okay. The elevators split. No. Remember what we talked about? Yeah. Um, when you push forward hard on one. The airplane thinks it's jammed. Yeah. So you can grab the other one and pull it back so that the left elevator or the opposite, they go opposite. Yeah. They're okay. not they're not attached to each other. Right. Then now they're unattached. They're 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 detached from mm-hmm. each other. So he so at that point, the captain pulls the throttles to idle. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't turn off the auto throttles. Mm-hmm. He just pulls them to idle. So we can see in the F in the flight data recorder where he pulls the throttles to idle, but they just push themselves back up. Because he doesn't turn them off. There's a button right on the side. Yeah. You can turn them off. But he doesn't. He just pulls it to idle. And then the mm. throttles, do, 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 they go right back up. Okay? Because he didn't turn them off. Yeah. And the airplane's still in go-around mode. It's just doing what it's told. It's a machine. Okay. I know the captain said what is going on. But shouldn't he be able to read the he panel can. in front of him? He does. He does. Okay. That's why he pulls the... Nose yeah. up. Okay. And the autopilot is off. So but could he not? So, well, at this point, it doesn't matter what the mode is, right? Because he's just hand flying the airplane. Got it. Okay. So, so it doesn't. So all he's trying to do is he goes, what's going on? He sees the airplane's nose down, so he pulls up. Okay. But the first officer is panicked, and he has, this, he has his arms locked full forward on the controls. Okay. I know that that's like what you're supposed to do when the plane stalls. Well, but you're never that's... supposed to push it forward like that. I know. Yeah. That never. seems too much. That's drastic. Remember how we said the airplane was going about 280 miles an hour, but 240 knots? Mm-hmm. Well, now it's going about 380 knots. <gasps> it did not take long. Normally, an airplane descends at an average of around 2,000 feet a minute. We've talked yeah. about this in other podcasts. The Atlas 767 is now descending at over 20,000 feet a minute. Jeez. So instead of it taking about 60 or about 30 seconds to descend each 1,000 feet, it takes 2.75 seconds for every 1,000 feet. Wow. So and they weren't... They're not really They high. were already coming down. Yeah, they're at 6,000 feet. So let's do the math. Oh, they no. They start their mistake at 6,000 feet when the first officer pushes the nose toward the ground. Well, now they're plunging toward the Texas swamp. And they're a covering thousand feet a thousand every feet every seconds. roughly every three seconds. So we are about out of time. I mean, it's getting that way really quickly, right? Mm-hmm. 
So the way it works. Decisions need to be made immediately about what is going to happen. Correct. So now the way it worked is that the first officer let go. Wow. My eyebrows raised. I had to. The controls are spring loaded in a way that would allow the now split elevators to rejoin. Okay. So the captain now has so then control. So now, now the captain has control of both elevators. Okay. And he's working to get the airplane to level, back to level and to nose up. Still, though, the power's all the way up. The captain yeah. is pulling so hard that the airplane is pulling more than four Gs of force. Fuck. Four times the force of gravity. That's enough to deprive your, bl- your brain of oxygen and make you pass out. So d- do it we think that sustained. happened? No. Okay. sustained if you sustain oh, okay. that the blood will essentially run away from your brain down to your feet because we're yeah. just not supposed to be i've seen those videos of people that happening on reddit fighter pilots now. deal with that and so do like aerobatics pilots and stuff they tense the muscles in their legs to essentially Help. force the blood well keep not not force but prevent the blood from flowing into their legs so they tense yep. their muscles to kind of like so the aircraft hits an overspeed condition the oh. throttles now they're auto throttles. They pull themselves to idle. Okay. Oh, okay. But the airplane is now going really about, fast. About 400 knots. But it's not going to add anymore. Nope. It's not going to add anymore. It may be going a little faster than 400 knots, 410 or so. So we've doubled the speed. Yes. And let me just say that the limit of the airplane is 350. No. So we're well over the limit of the aircraft. Now the captain has been able to raise the pitch. From 50 degrees nose down to roughly 20 degrees nose down. So he's okay. he's bring, brought the airplane up. It's still very nose low. The and jump seater. Fast. The jump seater, which I think may ha- he may have been napping or he may have just not been paying attention. Things happened really quickly here. Okay? Yeah, this is within a matter of seconds. seconds. So the jump seater yells, what's going on? A few seconds later, the jump seater yells, fuck, pull up. Yeah. But the captain is pulling up. He's yeah. pulling really hard, as hard as he, he can, probably lo- he If he was asleep, he probably woke up and saw ground. That's all he can see out the front, guaranteed. That's all he can see. And I, I did this situation in the simulator where I pitched the airplane nose down 50 degrees mm-hmm. just to see what it felt like. All Scary. you can see is the ground. That's it. At 20, would they have been able to see any sky? So at 20 degrees, he, he you would see a, a little bit of sky at the top. But you also would, at going this speed, they would have been close. They're close. So the captain... Too close for comfort. So now they have 1,500 feet both between them <gasps> and, the, and the ground. And how many seconds? Four. Uh... The first officer screams, Lord, you have my soul. <laughs> the captain was able to struggle the airplane back to 12 degrees nose down. The throttles came back to idle the air- when the airplane hit overspeed, but the airplane ran out of sky. At 500 miles per hour, 435 knots, still pointing 10 degrees nose down. Oh, so Atlas 760 the Atlas 767 Giant 3591 plunges into the Trinity Bay near a small town called Anahuac, Texas. About 40, uh, 40 miles southeast of Houston Intercontinental. So the ground that they were looking at this whole time was just water? Swamp. Swamp. So Trinity Bay, yeah. Oh, man. Let me put this in perspective. From the time that the first officer thought the airplane was stalling, when he says, we're stalling, we're stalling, to the time they hit the water was a total of 24 seconds. <gasps> That's 24 not... seconds. Okay. I just want everyone to like hold their phone and like look at the 
podcast app for the next 24 seconds while we talk and think about that's it that that's it 24 seconds you know what my mind went to what's that <laughs> that doesn't even heat up anything in the microwave no that's not time you, you, what you can do in the microwave in 24 seconds is melt butter kids can hold their breath longer than 24 seconds oh for underwater. sure water absolutely all the things you can do in 24 seconds that or that can't be done in 24 seconds you can't even take a pee so what <laughs> so what went wrong let's talk about this he made a human error it's called yeah. confirmation bias the first officer did it's called confirmation bias confirmation bias is bad yeah. But we as humans, we're all guilty of confirmation bias. I mean, that's the same thing as just going to the worst possible outcome in your brain. Yeah. But let me talk about confirmation bias for a second and, and, and what can result from confirmation bias. So in 2016, in the 2016 pres- presidential election, Hillary Clinton was leading Donald Trump the entire time, correct? Mm-hmm. And if you wanted to feel better about her winning, all you had to do was turn on CNN or MSNBC or read the Washington Post and New York Times, right? Or look at like 538.com. And then you felt better because it confirmed that she was going to win. Right. So you stopped looking. Yeah. And you didn't vote. Okay. Don't tell me that. But that's what happened. (laughs) Yeah. Because you knew. And we know that bad things happened. Okay. Yeah. So that's the same thing your crazy racist uncle does. He knows other people, other people's crazy racist uncles, and when he wants to hear that he's right, he turns asks them News. or he goes on Infowars.com mm-hmm. or turns on Fox Entertainment News and listens to the little whiny bitches on there. It's echo chamber politics. Yeah. And we are all prone to it. It's something we need to fight to recognize. That's confirmation bias. So okay. how did that apply to the FO? So the FO incorrectly thought the airplane was stalled. That was his very first thought. He saw the airplane was pitched up, Mm -hmm. which confirmed his immediate thought that he was stalling. But nothing else would have indicated a stall. But he stopped looking. Yeah. Okay. So he goes, oh, the airplane's pitching up. He can't find the airspeed. This is exactly like you find a fact that goes with a quote unquote fact that goes with what you believe. So then you stop. Right. You stop looking. Yeah. So, So he looked. He saw the pitch up. That was enough for him. He was convinced at that point that the airplane was stalling. He shoved the airplane over. Now he locked up. He panicked. Okay, he really fucked it up bad. Maybe he realized that he made a mistake in that moment. I'm not really sure. And I think then he just judging. We're, I mean, we're not get realized, there. realized, but like the shock of it all. Agreed. And I think that's, it was really like he thought something and then it shocked him what happened. Okay. Yeah. Now let's talk about the captain. So the captain was startled. And this is another problem with humans. Yeah. Um, People, including pilots, combat something called startle response. This is where something so unexpected happens that it takes, on average, five to eight seconds to figure out how to react. So let's talk about this. So the airplane is a complex machine. Yeah. Okay. In addition to having startle reaction, he has to evaluate the situation and... He doesn't want to take the wrong course of action like the first officer did. Mm-hmm. So he needs to follow the following steps. So he needs to wake up. He needs to figure out what's yeah. happening. He needs to correctly assess it. And then he needs to take the correct response. Okay. Which he did. He did in a way, but not quite. It just didn't, it didn't time out well. It didn't all translate. 
but this happened really fast. There was okay. also not any communication between the two. Oh, that it's great. Like that you, as that you soon went there. as the guy fucked, he just basically took it as this might hurt people's feelings, but took it as God's plan. Oh yeah. So the captain in this instance has classic startle response. When he chose to react, he made some critical mistakes. Mm-hmm. He didn't tell the first officer to let go of the controls. Right. He didn't communicate at all. There was no communication None, between the two zero. of them. He pulled the throttles to idle, but he didn't turn off the auto throttles. So they just went right back up. Mm-hmm. Eventually, his action of just pulling would have brought the airplane back to a climb, but it's only half the correct response. The he airplanes. Didn't turn- off the auto thrusters. The auto throttles, yeah. Would he have had enough time to save it if he had? So let's talk about the airplane in its configuration and then what he should have done. Okay. So the current configuration, the airplane is going so fast that you can imagine imagine the radius of the turn mm-hmm. of the pull, basically the bottom yeah. of the circle, extended below the ground. Okay, because Whoa. you know the bottom of the circle, yeah. right? Because they're they're covering, it would have been too wide. What we call yes. the round out, the cur- right? The bell curve, basically. Yeah, the bottom of that round out would have mm-hmm. been way too wide because they're going so fast. But what should have happened is the first officer. So let's talk first about the first officer, and then we'll talk. go back to the captain. The first officer should have simply read the autopilot mode that's right in front of him and pushed another mode. Yeah, it sounds like it's a combination of the bias that you talked about and possibly non-education. We're getting there. Again, you're you're always a step ahead of me, which I love. So the first officer ha- was one or two button pushes away from just being fine. Exactly. If he had okay. known what was in front of him and what it meant. Okay, so what he should have done is there's an altitude hold button. Yeah. He should have just reached up, put one finger on that altitude hold button, and pressed it. That would have leveled the airplane off, and everything would have been good. Or he could have said to the captain... Hey, dude, hey, what's I going need help. on? I need help. Okay. He did something so un- unexpected that the captain was the only one that could fix it, though. So let's yeah. talk about how the captain could have fixed it. The captain should have looked over, said, My controls loudly and forcefully, disconnected the auto throttles, pulled them to idle, pulled out the speed brakes. And leveled the airplane. And he's trained to say, my controls. Absolutely. If you need to take an airplane from someone, you say, my controls. So both of these guys are not following their training. Correct. Or, the captain, we know the captain didn't Or using do that. it. He didn't say that. But just even had he not done anything else, by just saying my controls to the first officer, that he may might have, have saved enough. it. That may have been enough. Because he wouldn't have been... So Building up the the, speed. Right. And the the control surfaces wouldn't have split. So instead of saying my controls, he just yanked back on the controls. That was not the right thing to do. Yeah. He had the incorrect automatic reaction. Correct. Had he said my controls and disconnected the auto throttles and pulled them to idle, that would have absolutely been enough. They would have gotten low, probably around 2,000 feet, but they actually would have recovered. Okay. And landed. That may be the end of the story, but the shock value of this story actually lies before the flight. So let's talk about that. What? Yeah. Okay. So we know what happened. We I feel like we like we're at the end of a hallway and you know those hallways that unexpectedly have a turn in them that you don't see when you're walking down. Yeah, like, but the turn for we this. We just one? turned down a, another darker hallway. 
the turn for this one happened before we ever got in the cockpit. Oh, no. What really happened and what caused it? First, let's talk about the first officer. Okay. Okay. The first officer had worked for a variety of companies prior to coming to Atlas Air. Mm -hmm. He failed training at two (gasps) other U.S. airlines. Mm -hmm. He left Air Wisconsin. And that's hard. Yes. From what I've heard, mm -hmm. they basically kind of just let you learn again. Yes, that's As long as you learn it. He left Air Wisconsin, which is a commuter airline, after training for four months. (gasps) To be a first officer in a CRJ-200, which and is... failing. Remember we talked about um, in a previous episode, thirty Pinnacle 3701. Yeah. That's a CRJ-200. This guy failed training on the CRJ-200 after four months. So he basically... T- I mean, you're training. They're like a month block, but... This guy was four times that. So he failed four times, basically. Basically, probably. yeah. And, and had to repeat, repeatedly repeat. Dude, go pick something else. Go sell boats. That's all I'm saying. Anything. Be a flight attendant. (laughs) But hang on. He also resigned after a month at a company I didn't mean to say... I mean, he probably would have failed flight attendant school too. (laughs) Probably. They actually have some pretty good training still. But he also resigned after a month at Commute Air due to lack of progress in training while trying to become a first officer on a um, Bombardier-8, which is a big turboprop. So he resigned after a month. In, at a company called Commute Air. Because he failed again. Yeah. But then he was employed at a company called Mesa, which is another regional. But that's also where the jump seater worked. Okay. Huh. So he maybe knew this guy? The two Mesa, uh, he may have known him, but I don't, I don't think so. I don't think I mean, there are a lot a of people in a company. There's a lot of people. And Mesa, is a pretty, Mesa was a pretty big company. So he was employed at Mesa. Even if that's also where the jump seater yeah. worked. But let me talk about this. Two Mesa captains who evaluated the first officer, told the NTSB that he would get flustered when he encountered when he encountered unexpected situations no. in training. One of the captains said he would make frantic, and I quote, he would make frantic mistakes and start pushing a lot of buttons without <gasps> thinking about what he was pushing. That Mesa check airman and told- And that's how you fail. Right. <laughs> Four times. And that Mesa check airman told the NTSB that, and here's the quote, he was one of the worst no. I'd ever seen. Probably a two out of ten in terms of piloting skill. My unquote mouth is open. I'm shocked that he got his next job. So the other Mesa check airman, right? We said it was two check airmen at Mesa. The other check airman said that he had a lack of understanding of how unsafe he was. You know what this reminds me of? Go ahead. There's this... Um, the Boston Globe did a podcast called Dr. Death and there is a spinal surgeon who oh, yeah, was uh-huh. killing a bunch of people. Yeah, I listened to that too. And he didn't when even... he, there's a quote basically saying he might not have realized he was doing harm and was doing so much wrong until there was another doctor that he respected in the courtroom explaining everything. Right. So that suggests something some... called, that suggests that he was some, suffering from something called Dunning-Kruger effect. Dunning-Kruger oh. effect is where you're so bad at something <gasps> that you think you're good at it. No, that's because, a ding. <laughs> right. Be, it is. It's called Dunning-Kruger. <gasps> it's because you don't have the tools to evaluate how bad you actually are. You think you're a, you think you're a genius at something and okay. you don't even have okay. the tools to evaluate that you're is terrible. Is there something, um, is it like a syndrome, whatever this is? Dunning-Kruger effect. It's just effect. a logical error, yeah. So and has this problem. So he never yeah. learned. He's never to learn. putting together that he's a bad pilot. 
but he's a terrible pilot. He failed to list. So here's something. He, but you f- get big Fs. Fail, 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 fail. Yeah, but here's the get around. He failed to list these jobs at Air Wisconsin and Commute Air on his employment application with Atlas. He didn't even tell Atlas he worked there. But and did he have any resume at all then? He did. The Atlas Air director of training, the airline was not aware of these two jobs, but with the information, and I quote, we would not have offered him a position. Is there any sort of database for a, all pilots? So there, all, the, all Atlas Air saw was a gap in his training or gap okay. in his employment. And that could have been anything. That could have been anything. Health, family. It could have been anything. And he, and we're Vacation. not, we don't know how yeah. he explained it. Okay. And it's in their eyes, it doesn't matter. No. Because it wasn't like he was off doing bad flying jobs, which he was. He was. But wait, there's more. Okay. During training at Atlas for the 767, things, as you can imagine, did not go smoothly. Who is this guy's poor sim partner? Remember he told... (laughs) You're you're so good at this. So (laughs) remember that, um, that he told the jump seater that things went smoothly and that it was an easy transition? Well, oh yeah, he was. Um, what, what's a good word for that? Like boosting his. Yeah, he self. was like bragging. Basically, he was required to undergo four and a half hours of remedial instruction before he could take the systems exam. Just Whoa. the systems before he ever got in the airplane. So okay. basically, like you've never done this before. Then he was held training. back for four additional hours of remedial training on the fixed base simulator before he ever got to the full motion simulator. So just the procedural training trainer. Oh. Okay. Which is just learning all the buttons. Just the button, just button location and procedures and callouts. What outs. he had issues with. Oh, I mean. Which it, caused a thing. And there's I issues understand, all along. I get it. I was never good at learning vocabulary. I chose a different field. <laughs> yes. This guy needed to choose a different field. So that happened before he could even proceed to the full flight simulator. Then he was paired with another pilot in training. That pilot, after the second simulator session, complained that his first off, that his pair, his other partner, mm-hmm. which is the first officer here, was holding him back. The Atlas instructor decided to split the two and restart this guy's full simulator training wow. from the beginning and essentially adding more remedial training. So my guess is eight additional hours of full flight simulator training. Question. Yeah. I know that training is very expensive. It is. Is it more expensive to re? Train a guy like this or to get somebody fully new? Um, because of staffing issues, it's probably cheaper to retrain because it's hard to find pilots right now. We talked about pilot shortage before. Yeah. We're suffering. Okay, we've had such a huge that expansion sucks. in fleet growth. Which is why he kept being able to get jobs. Right. Eventually. See that Dr. Death, he was a spine surgeon and then they were like, oh, we only have a few of those. There's in the only a few. State. So eventually he was recommended for his FAA certification to get his type rating in the 767, which he failed. Dude. So I read the record for this. I read all the training records, but I read the record for this. And it says, due to unsatisfactory performance in crew resource management, threat and error management, non-precision approaches, steep turns, and pilot judgment. That wasn't just one thing. That's basically all of the things. All the things. That's basically all the things. He sucks at all the things. He does. He sucks at all the things. After a lot more remedial training, he finally passed the type rating. Okay, he got his type rating. In the report, the NTSB questioned why Atlas Air didn't put him on an FAA-mandated like six-month probation or six-month proficiency watch program for the remedial training. 
But Atlas Air's fleet captain, being tricked by his resume, mm. told the NTSB that he had chalked it up the pilot's poor performance to nervousness and recent gaps in his employment. Right. Like like when you go away from school for the summer, you get back, you're a little rusty. Fleet manager decided to just put, um, just to keep an eye on his performance and talk to the other pilots, which, by the way, I, I think that he was wrong. Yeah. He was clearly wrong, but that's what he did. That's so let a, me talk about- I mean, so much failing. So let me talk about my evaluation of his training record. So I've been a company instructor. I've been a standards captain. I've been a fleet manager. I've been a check airman in addition to doing training development. Okay. Yeah. So I feel like I'm qualified to evaluate his training record. Mm-hmm. And the which theme, is a publicly available Which now? is publicly available. Correct. The theme throughout his training record was impulsivity, poor situational awareness, mm-hmm. and questionable airmanship. That sure. basically means he had shitty ability to fly an airplane. So yeah. page after page after page of comments, how he takes action immediately, but it's the wrong action. How sometimes he draws a blank. Sometimes he forgets procedures. It's just pages. I can't stress this yeah. enough. Pages and pages This is and not what this guy was meant to do. Of, no. And it just sounds like I'm this. curious if there's anything, and I know this comes up a lot about the mental state. Yeah. And I know that we talked about the syndrome we talked about possibly some narcissism. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm curious if there was some anxiety there. Not really sure. So we could tear that apart all day, but I'm going to but I'm gonna cut to the chase here. That's just what I... No, I'm, I understand. I'm also thinking that could but be... But I blame Atlas Air. Oh, completely. 100%. Atlas knew this guy couldn't fly. The, the training records show it, but they chose to qualify him anyway. They chose to work with this guy... And work with this guy until they qualified him. Okay. The company did it because, well, like we talked about, they're low on staff. Right. They had a lot invested in him. And Atlas. Yeah, they'd already spent so much money on Atlas him. has trouble hiring people because of their labor issues, because people know that there's no contract. People, right. So Atlas was grossly negligent. Mm-hmm. That is 100%. Is there anything? I honestly in- can't figure out why they hired him, why he made it through training. I'm honestly fucking baffled. Is there anything in any rule book that if you fail a certain number of times, you cannot go no. again? No. Really? No. That's shocking. Okay. But so that there, would have So maybe... you asked me before about the about how to pull pilot records. Yeah. There's something called PREA, Pilot Record Information Act. doctor's uh, records are out there too. Right. So there's something called Pilot Record Information Act. Uh-huh. Now, it's only partially implemented in the United States. It requires that air carriers pull records from other employers, mm-hmm. but they will only pull records of employers that you list. So there's no like federal oh. database. So if you list your employer, so you, you can't like search a guy's name and look at every single. That's job the problem with Priya, is that Damn you it. can only get the records for the things that they tell you, and there's no like database to because. See. Of like privacy laws, I'm privacy sure. Privacy laws and also just because the law hasn't been completely implemented yet. Right. So wow. still being implemented. Okay. <sighs> so let's talk about the captain. Yeah. The captain was 60 years old. He was enrolled in the Proficiency Watch program in oh. 2015 uh-huh. after he initially failed his 767 type ride. No. Both of them? Atlas instructor comments said he messed up some things pretty badly, uh, badly enough to fail. Uh, that indicates to me that he was a weak pilot, 
But but you made it to captain. He did, still. and also he was taken off the proficiency watch program, and he later completed his remedial training. He was awarded his seven sixty seven type ride. Some people just after take that to he learn. had no training issues. Yeah, some it just takes a little longer for some people. Right, and because both pilots were stepping up from smaller airplanes to the seven sixty seven, so it was. A I'm big not jump, saying that. Like yeah, I'm said. not saying that he was a great pilot, but he. But I am saying he was a safe pilot. He took the yeah. wrong action, but remember, it was 24 seconds. That's mm-hmm. all he had, 24 seconds. Okay, so let's talk about the jump seater. The jump seater's name uh, was Sean Archuleta. He was in his mid-30s. He had a new wife and baby. Why? <laughs> um. Yeah, I know. He had resigned um, from his job as a captain at Mesa Airlines on February 22nd, the wow. day before this incident. Ugh. He was and scheduled. Go ahead probably going to united because it'd be better benefits for him and his new family exactly so he was scheduled to start class with united airlines on march 11th a that's go- the worst part of it uh, it really is a gofundme was opened it's now closed it raised over one hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars for his family yep for his oh, family and this that's, one that was something i was i was curious about as well would the families of these there will be a large settlement it this is still but is it something that is that they had to sue for? Is it something that is guaranteed? Because this wouldn't have happened if these guys had been, I mean, the one guy especially had been more. Yeah. So trained. typically, I, I can't address this situation specifically, but I typically mean, if, if airlines, still in carry, airlines carry a insurance policy that covers a lot of money per seat. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because air, airline pilots are trained because yeah. they do have liability and typically that number is in the millions yeah so but it requires that everything be closed out so it's not closed out yet because this happened a year ago but the good news is his family was able to benefit from the gofundme which raised over one hundred and seventy five thousand dollars when it was closed okay now that can help them that'll help them get through get through yeah united airlines did not fill his seat in the march 11th 2019 class that's they're such a good company (laughs) They're also like known for their diversity and all this stuff, and and they left his name tag with his new employee number at his seat for the entirety of the two weeks (sighs) as a memorial. That's so nice. (laughs) So let's talk about the NTSB findings, okay? The findings have yet to be issued, and I want to be clear that I wrote this podcast based on the NTSB accident docket that was released to the public. It's over three thousand pages. Yeah, you told me that this one took you a while. Yeah, I'm going to cover that and in a I minute. And I can see why. The NTSB is still working on it. They'll issue a statement eventually, but I did read an interesting statement within those documents. The NTSB report cites an unnamed person at Atlas who told investigators that he was present in a meeting at Atlas discussing an increased number of pilots at Atlas who lacked experience in large aircraft and an increase in unsatisfactory check rides resulting in pilots needing additional training. So So this is not a single situation. This leads me to think that the training program at Atlas probably was not designed for inexperienced pilots like they have. It just doesn't sound like it's comprehensive. Well, it's probably not designed for new pilots. Yeah. We don't. Oh, it's designed for experienced pilots to then transition to a new plane. Let me be clear about the training program that needs to happen at Atlas. So they have to train on the aircraft Mm -hmm. and then they are primarily international. So not only do they have to train on the aircraft, then they have to train on all the international operations. So yeah. this is a pretty extensive program. Right. So 
it either needs to be taught in a better way. Yes, correct. Or over a longer period of time. Yes. It needs to be slowed down. Yeah. And they need to pay their pilots more. That's basically what it comes down to. And they they need to be unionized. Okay. So let's... You know how I wrap this. You know how I wrap this, right? I eventually get to my sources, but let's talk about what's changed as changed as a result of this crash and what's changed since this crash. Yeah, this is going to be really easy. Officially, nothing has changed. Yeah, because it's not closed out yet. No training requirements have changed. No wow. hiring requirements have changed. Atlas is still hiring as of this production today, and Atlas still has no contract, and they still struggle with turnover. Wow. Unofficially, however. Air carriers have tightened their training standards and are more aware of of inexperienced pilots. And they're a little more careful about pilots who make the cut and who don't make the cut. Yeah. So that's an upshot. So when there's still no if you fail this many times, you're out. Correct. There's no legislative standard. Mm -hmm. But I know at my airline, because I was getting hired around this date, if you failed a few times, you're out. Mm. They they will not accept you back. But we're talking about the... We're talking about flying people. We're talking about the best airlines, too. Yes. The other ones struggle for staff. They have trouble attracting new, the right. newest, the, the the most talented. Because those and, big... And retaining those people. Because those big airlines are also in need of pilots. Correct. So United so is go hiring. There Delta is hiring. American is hiring. Hawaiian is hiring. Everybody's hiring, including overseas airlines. And so... And when they fail at those bigger companies... You can always leave. You go can to always the go to Atlas. Standardized. Right. Let me get to my sources. This was the longest one I'd ever written. Can I guess? Yeah. Ten hours. Whew. I wish. So this took me over twenty hours to assemble this <gasps> material. I'm sure this is the f- besides like newspaper articles around the time. This is probably the first comprehensive telling of this. Yes. So. I'm sure because if it wouldn't have taken you as long if you had found one. <laughs> Correct. So my main source was the NTSB investigation docket. Like okay. I said, I read a good bit of it. I admit that I admit that I did not read the whole thing. Again, it was over three thousand. It was over three thousand pages. But being an experienced seven sixty seven pilot, I dove into the NTSB packet. I compiled the data from the flight data recorder and the cockpit recorder. I did that myself. Wow. That was not compiled. I wrote the events. I talked my findings over with some other experts, mm-hmm. some pilots I fly with. Okay, some experienced 767 captains. So I'd like to thank. Did they have any opinions? They did, and we were able to break things down and really get into the heads of the pilots. Hmm. Also, look at the airplane very carefully while we were flying it and say, "What happened? What did they do?" Yeah. Okay, so I'd like to thank Brent Johnson, and he helped me immensely. We talked it over. I'd like to say thank you to Ryan Cecil, uh, one of my favorite guys to fly with. Those guys are both incredibly smart and knowledgeable. They really helped get into the heads of the crew. Yeah. And really um, helped me write this and, and kind of put awesome. it all together. They totally Shout deserve out. credit. Yeah, exactly. So my other sources include Wikipedia as usual, a Forbes article from December 19th, 2019, Business Insider wow. from December 20, 2019, the Miami Herald from December 20, 2019, wow. and Time Magazine also from December 20th, 2019. So these people were just coming out with articles about this like a month ago, even 
Though it happened over a year ago. So basically they released the docket on like the 18th of December. Oh, wow. The NTSB released the docket on the 18th of December. I downloaded it around right around Christmas time. A couple people wrote articles about it. I used those articles, but I dove in and I made I made There's a lot, a of, lot this of stuff for myself. There's a ton of information. For how short. And how shocking the training record was. It was. I just I honestly I can't with that. It's I, I I am literally I was awestruck. I yeah. was reading these pages with my mouth open. And the fact that he can just hide his Yeah, his bad, like his his old employment history. He hit when it. I feel like when you have, and I know that he was not flying people, but he was flying that one guy home, you should be able to have access to all past I records. agree with you. I couldn't agree with you more. Like doctors, you have people's lives in your hands. Right. These guys fucked up. They fucked up bad. They killed themselves, but- I mean, thank goodness it was three and not, because that's a big plane. That could have been so much worse if it was people. But then again, he wouldn't have been flying them because he wouldn't have been at that a company that flew people. Okay, he wouldn't have passed. Right. Let me be clear. This guy would not have made it through training at Delta. Absolutely not. He would have not made it through training at American or United or Hawaiian. Yeah. That's why Most, he was at this company. That's right. And this company specifically was suffering from pilots because they did not have a good mm-hmm. labor. They did they the pilots are being beat up. Yeah. The pilots are being underpaid. Mm-hmm. They're all pushing for union negotiations and contract negotiations, yeah. but they don't have a contract. They're employees Sucks. working without a union contract. And yeah. but I'm just going to but I'm going to attribute this to Atlas Air. Absolutely. 100%. Atlas Air did not screen their pilot. Mm-hmm. They basically had a pilot that was continually failing and they let it go. They can't. let it go. No, yeah. you can't. It's it's that's not it's not the right thing to do. It was incredibly immoral of them. Yeah. It was incredibly bad judgment. Atlas Air fucked up. Yeah. The pilot was a bad pilot. It's their pressure to staff their airplanes because right. they have if, this huge mm-hmm. Amazon contract. If he hadn't if they hadn't been in such a need, they wouldn't have hired him. Or they wouldn't have. Just, have um, they would have washed him let, out. Yeah, they wouldn't have let him keep going through training. Correct. They would have gotten someone else. Right. Had they not been in such a terrible need, they would have literally just said, "Hey, it's not working out. See you later." And honestly, that probably would have been his last chance. <laughs> I don't know why Mesa didn't do that. When you have a Czech airman that says he's a yeah. two out of ten, so th- I feel like Mesa gets a little bit of the blame. Like, I agree. The Pilot Record Information Act. It's enacted so you can ask for pilot records, but if the pilot doesn't disclose, there's no federal database that says, right. hey, this person employed was employed here. And, and so, here are all the bad reviews. Right, and here's all the, all the terrible things he did. So the tr- in my opinion, here's how to fix this. Training records need to exist in the public domain. Yeah, that's a good idea. That's um, it. They just need to exist. Maybe not in the public domain so you can just Google them, but they need to exist in a database well, like with the that, government. So you exactly can go, like doctors. hey, right. You can say, hey, I'm an air carrier. I'm going to employ XYZ person. Right. Here's the paperwork. Now go ahead and give me the person's records. Right. And, and, the, in, and the government should hang on to that. Yeah. And anyone who thinks that would be like some sort of privacy issue, it's your, you hold people's lives in your hands in that moment. That's the same, any sort of screening you would have for a police officer, 
a but doctor. I, and people you have need... and people have brought up this argument to me before, like, oh well, doctors, you know, they have they have people's lives in their hands. We're not talking about a life, okay? With pilots, this is even worse. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about a life. We're talking about a plane full, and that every person that could potentially be in the way on, on the ground, right? All the people who are family of those people. I mean, it's a huge, it's a huge thing. I, I fly in, you know, the seven eighty seven seats over three hundred people. Mm-hmm. They trust me with that. Yeah, and they should. My my record is good, but exactly. But and most and most of the people I fly and, with have great training records, but. It's an employer, not the case. an employer should be able to have access to that training record. Uh, that's all I'm saying. Fully, fully access my training records, my current training records, and my past training records. You shouldn't be and able to be hide a blemish because it. it's not a blemish. Nope. It was, it was a trend for him. Yes, and he took part of it out so it didn't look like that. Look, a blemish. We talked about the captain. The captain may have been a weak captain, and we know from his actions that it was that he was kind of weak. It just. But, but he did learn. But he passed training, yeah. and he didn't have a a very. It wasn't. It wasn't like a marked training record. It was. It, and he wasn't flying three hundred people. Right, and I mean, there's no indication that the captain was a bad pilot. Right. He was he, just a weak pilot, or he who, wasn't paying attention, or he just did the wrong thing that day because he had twenty seconds. Yeah. There's Remember we talked about that so, startle response being mm-hmm. five to eight seconds. Mm-hmm. That guy had only half of his life remaining. Yeah. And half of it is startled. Yeah. The other half is He's him trying, trying to, to fix, fix it. it. See, I get it. The A lot of the other stories that you've talked about on your podcast, I feel like you can normally narrow it down to one or two factors. There are so many factors in this. It's a, This is a training issue. Training issue. Yeah shock time and if any of those had been like slightly different the outcome would have been different but i training is definitely obviously the main issue yeah and again i'm gonna stress staffing pilot contract you know treating your pilots right because when you treat your pilots right you attract the right people right that's a big deal not attracting the, the right who's talent like already been rejected by everyone else right exactly all right so that's the that's twenty hours. That's twenty hours of just research. Plus, I wrote How it. How long is that? How felt like we were talking. Well, this is a long one. I probably have to break it into two pieces. So this is we've been. We're going down a hallway and then took a sharp left turn. So yes, this I mean this story is twofold. But anyway. Oh man! So let's wrap nuts. it up. So that's our podcast. Thanks for being with me again, Mary. I appreciate it. It's. Always a blast. I love Thank your you expressions. Thank you for having me. I'm going to be thinking about this one for a few days. This was the biggest one that I that I researched. Wow. So. Thank you for putting my brain in this state, I guess. I don't know. I don't know if it is a thank you. Thank I'm, Thanks for having me. <laughs> I guess is all I can say. All right. Well, we're going to I'm going to go ahead and shut down now. Or follow me on Instagram. You can follow me on Twitter. You can see the pictures on my Instagram. We're going to be back doing more aviation events soon so and uh we'll see you guys next time yeah bye fly safe